Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on guys? Welcome to another post-game live here in the 2023 NBA playoffs on Dime Dropper. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on all platforms, especially YouTube. Follow us on all social media platforms at Dime Dropper Pod and hit the notification bell on YouTube so I so you know every single time I go live and post a video. Obviously, gonna be basically going live every single night of these playoffs. But let's first so we got a, two games to talk about tonight on the agenda. Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings Game 2. And then Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia 76ers Game 2. Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar a dime. I want to thank everybody for the recent, you know, a lot of views. I've been producing so much content lately. I made all those series previews. Go check them out. And then I made the video after the eight games I watched in the Game 1s of the first round. And got over 1,000 views. So shout out to all you guys. Keeping the algorithms pushing. We're now at 4.1K subscribers, and we want to continue to build. So please keep commenting. Please keep joining up in the lives. And as I told you before, as I always say, Super Chats are turned on. You want to drop a dollar or a dime. Anything helps. Before I get into the basketball tonight, though, as this being the L.A. sports hub that it is, I got to flex a bit. Los Angeles, stand up. Every single one of our teams won and stole home court slash home ice in the first game. Now, I know I'm not a Laker fan, but that's good for business, baby. Los Angeles is up right now. What a win for the Kings. And if there's any one of my teams I always believe in, it's the Kings. They won a Stanley Cup as the eighth seed. We came back from 3-0 down in a series against San Jose. Won a Game 7 in Anaheim. Won a Game 7 in Chicago. I mean... I've seen the Kings do just about anything, so I always believe in them. Down 2-0 tonight against Edmonton. Down 3-1. Came back, tied the game, and guess who? First of all, I want to give a big shout-out to Adrian Kempe for those big-time goals and our new goaltender. I still don't even know how to pronounce his fucking name. So listen, as far as hockey, I'm not going to lie. I am a casual. I'm a huge Kings fan. I love the sport of hockey, but I'm not necessarily, you know, a huge I don't know hockey like that. You know, I watch the Kings. I know their roster really well. I always did when we won cups, but I'm a casual. I'm not afraid to admit that. But I saw that the Oilers are one of the best teams in the league in the power play, and they were they scored on us with when we had two men down, and they were up 3-1. I thought we were pretty cooked for the game. And, you know, when you go up against the talent like Connor McDavid, and you saw, there was one, <laughs> one movie he had where he dri- dribbled. He deked past, like, three dudes. I was like, Oh my God, this is different. But I don't understand how these people play this sport. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so physical. I mean, it's, that shit is crazy, dude. I still can't imagine. You know, it's hard for me enough to fucking ice skate, let alone play at that level. Stay on your feet when you get checked like that. Oh, man. But anyway, the Kings showed so much resilience today. Coming back from 3-1 down, Anjay Kopitar 
last with 17 seconds left in the game, forcing overtime. And then, what a beautiful goal there. Kopi, I forget who got the last assist. I think it was Arvidsson. I may be wrong, though. And then Aya Fallo winning the game for the Kings. What a beautiful sequence of passes there. And again, I got to give credit to our goaltender, who was awesome in this first game. Kings steal home ice. We didn't do that last year against these guys. So I'm very happy to see that. But the Kings win it. Take the one nothing lead, and now it's time to talk about the other Kings. I know that's why you guys are here. The Sacramento Kings trying to go up 2-0 in the series against the defending champion Warriors. So going into this game, I was more looking at it from a Warriors perspective because they're the ones, in my opinion, that just had a little bit more pressure. Just because, I mean, you know what's funny is you can debate that statement because the Kings, you can kind of say that they need to win this game to because if they lose if they had lost this game going and winning in Oakland or in San Francisco with the way that they've been playing at home this season and just given how battle tested they are and all that oh man I'm sleep we did win game one last year what was I suppose I saying something like, man my hockey memory is not as good as my basketball memory sadly but we did win game one last year and it was funny we won it by the same exact score four to three so far from over of course but it's good to get a win but anyway Let's go to the Sacramento Kings. So I'm looking at this game really from a Warriors perspective just because they're the ones that I expect to win. They're the ones that everybody is picking to win. I've still only picked Sacramento. I've only heard Sacramento Kings fans pick the Kings to win this series. Everybody else is picking the Warriors just because they've got Steph Curry, they're battle-tested, they're the champs, all that. So I'm watching the game, and I thought that the Warriors... By the way, so they started Wiggins. That was the adjustment. We were wondering how much longer it was going to take because he played well in game one. He starts in this one, and he was guarding De'Aaron Fox, and I thought he did a really good job on him in the beginning. The Warriors' defense in the first quarter was really sharp. They were fighting over screens. They were playing good on-ball defense. Klay Thompson was really good. Steph Curry was really good. They held the Kings to just 17 points. And I also think the Kings still were creating a lot of good shots, but they just weren't knocking them down. And the Kings, you know, they haven't had an explosion from three game yet at all. They were just nine for 38 in this game. So for a team that scores the most points in the NBA, I mean, they scored 126 in the last game and then 114 in this one. They still haven't, you know, gone extremely crazy, but it is the playoffs. It's not going to be as high scoring as normal. But, you know, one thing we say about the, the playoffs is that the game slows down. Not for these Sacramento Kings. I mean, I have not seen a team play with this pace in the playoffs except for old school tapes of Showtime Lakers games, like full games of the Lakers. Because in the 2000s, you know, even the early 2010s, no teams were running like this. This is crazy. So the clear strategy for Mike Brown is get super physical with the dubs and run them off the court. He's like, they're old. Besides Gary Payton and Andrew Wiggins, the rest of them have so much mileage on them. Let's run them out the gym. They won't be able to stay with us for the course of seven games. They've looked worn down this season. They've looked older this season. They've struggled to guard. And they're, you know when they're trying to push the pace? When they are taking the ball out on made baskets and trying to fast break. That's something you only see from Showtime. And maybe the Doug Moe Nuggets, because I haven't seen them play, but I, I got to assume that they played at some kind of blistering pace to score that many points, especially without shooting threes like that. 
but the Kings are trying to push the pace and run these old dudes out of here. That's what they're trying to do. And it's crazy because the Warriors made their name on pace and space. That's their thing. That's their style that they perfected. And look, they still play a fast pace in the regular season, but over the course of a seven-game series, like I think some of these seasonal stats, like defensive rating, offensive rating, given how devalued the regular season is and how many meaningless games there are, I think that there's a lot of validity, obviously, to those stats because the big, you know, 82 games is a big enough sample size. But there are still so many factors that make the regular season not able to just take things from and take them to the bank with. Like, the Kings may be 24th in defensive rating, but my eye test tells me they're not the 24th best defensive team. I think they're top 20 in that category. I don't want to sit here and you know tell you who they're better than defensively, but when I see their games, I see their effort. To me, they're not a three seed for no reason. And I know offense... You know, their offensive numbers are what stands out, but they're not as bad defensively as everybody advertised. And I said the same thing about Denver, too, that they don't look the, so terrible defensively when I watch them play either. Now, are they, are they is their defense good enough to win a championship? That's a totally different conversation. That's not what we're talking about with Sacramento. We were talking about winning a series. And look, I had my, you know, my doubts as well. I have the Warriors winning the series in six. I'm not wavering on my pick just because that's not what I do. But do I think the Warriors are going to win in six right now? Oh, fuck no, they're not. But I'm going to have to stay with my pick. They're going to win four straight games. And look, they win two games. Then everything changes. Because you know what they always say. Kenny Smith always says this. But the series does not start till the team loses the first road game. The first road game is lost. The series does not start until then. I thought it was interesting to see the rotations in this game. You know, for the Kings, Malik Monk, Davion Mitchell, Trey Lyles, and uh, Alex Len. So the typical nine-man rotation. You saw Terrence Davis get two minutes. I don't, I don't remember if that was in garbage time or just for a second. Kessler Edwards came in for like 30 seconds at the end of the first quarter. For the Warriors, they played Gary Payton uh, Jr., Dante DiVincenzo, Jordan Poole, and Jonathan Kaminga was their four men off the bench in the first half. And they, in the second quarter, started to fall apart. And the reason why the Warriors, I think the main reason they lost this game, turnovers. It's not the first time we've talked about turnovers for the Warriors over the years. They have been a very high turnover team, even in the years that they've won a championship. I was starting to have doubts about them winning last year's title in the, in the middle of the season because they're so turnover prone. And in this game, I mean, it was just ridiculous, their carelessness with the ball. Such risky passes. Like, look, I know the motion offense and all that makes you forces you to move the ball fast and do all that, but... This is the playoffs, and every possession counts. And the Warriors just willy-nilly throwing the ball up high with so much airtime on the passes, all these real, all these ridiculous passes. And Draymond Green and Steph Curry, the two leaders of this team, have to be the first ones accountable because they combined for 10 Warrior turnovers between the two of them out of the 20. So 20 turnovers as a team, and Steph and Dre combined I'm sorry, 22 turnovers as a team. And Steph and Dre combined for 10 of them. So that is totally unacceptable. And was making the Kings get out and run. Because Sacramento is going to look to punish you on all your mistakes. And they were doing exactly that. Exactly that. Every time the Warriors gave the ball away, 
even on misses, even on makes, they were looking to push, looking to get guys like Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox out in transition. And with guys like Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, you know, they've got youth all over the court. Even DeMontis Sabonis, who's not the fastest guy in the world, he's still pretty young. So they want to play this pace. They want to continue to play this pace. And it's nice and interesting to see a team that plays the similar style to the Warriors because they always play against a team that just plays high pick and roll and iso ball. But now they're playing against a team that plays that read and react offense, that plays that motion offense, and it's wearing on the Warriors' legs. And now they're not coming off screens the same way. They're not as sharp with their motion offense in the half court. And the Warriors, I mean, you know, they typically like the, the transition game, but these guys are a different level. Shout out to my man Crooktown P with the super chat. He says, as a tr real true Clipper fan, appreciate your content, real talk. I appreciate you, the best fans in the world, man. Super chats, really appreciate it. Everything helps. But the second quarter, it was all Sacramento Kings. That first quarter that we saw defensively for the Warriors, it did not happen in the second. It was 41-29 in favor of the Kings in the second quarter. They were up 58-52 to at the half. I have to say, Andrew Wiggins, again, a really solid game. His offense was good. He was hitting the jump, his jumper, even in the mid-range area, one-on-one. -on -one. And his three ball, that has still been a little bit lagging. Two for eight from deep for Wiggs, only 25%. And the Warriors, you know, 13 for 40 from three. Last game, they shot 53s. This one, they cut it down by 10, but they still didn't shoot well. 32.5%. So they have not had a good shooting game. You know it's coming, but they're going to have to win a road game in this series. And that crowd is just another level. I've been saying it for so long, for months now, you guys know. I've been saying that that home court advantage is going to be a fortress for teams to win. It's going to be insanely difficult. And right now, it's proving to be because here's the problem. It's hard to get stops on the Kings. And once they score, that crowd gets going. And it makes their defensive players just work that much harder. I thought De'Aaron Fox's defense from the get-go was phenomenal. Obviously, he's tasked with guarding Steph Curry when Davion Mitchell's not in. And he was just doing such a good job of chasing him over screens, active hands. And the Kings' activity, their physicality, was phenomenal all night long from the beginning. Fighting the Warriors over screens, bumping them. And the refs were letting them play. Um, I thought it was a not a very well-officiated game, quite frankly. But, you know, it was only one foul difference. I think 26 to 25. So I know a lot of Warriors fans didn't like some of the calls and all that. Thought Sabonis got away with a lot of things. But ultimately, you can't turn the ball over 22 times on the road in a playoff game and expect to win. Especially when a team punishes you, punishes you that much when you turn the ball over. A team like Sacramento, who's going to get out and run, who has a guy like De'Aaron Fox that is lightning fast in the open court and phenomenal in transition. And another guy that's also phenomenal in transition is Malik Monk. And I think that he was the one that kick-started that run for the Sacramento Kings in the second quarter. He made three after three to begin the quarter, got the crowd going, and the defense turned up. And that's when they started getting steals. And I got to give a shout out to the lottery pick in 2021, Davion Mitchell. His defense against Steph Curry was incredible. He is so strong. He has great lateral movement. He has good hands. He is really that guy on that end of the floor. And when he's making his jumper, then he deserves to play so much, and that's what he played in this game. 28 minutes, he had 14 points, three rebounds. I'm sorry, two rebounds, three assists, two steals, and he was five for 10 from the field. Two for six from three, so, you know, the Warriors are going to leave him open and give him those shots, but 50% from the field, you'll take all day for him. 
I thought his defense was just incredible throughout the game. And that second quarter, Malik Monk and him sparked a little push. And DeMontis Sabonis, you know, he did not shoot well in the first game. But I thought he bounced back pretty well. The one thing I've noticed, though, about him is he I haven't seen him yet in the series turn over the left shoulder for a jump hook of any sort or a shot of any sort. He has finished with the right hand a couple of times, but he's very left-hand dominant. He really wants to turn over that right shoulder and go with that left-handed jump hook. And Kevon Looney and Draymond Green do a hell of a job of deterring him and just keeping their arms up and playing strong defense and just being strong, taking the hits to the chest and contesting. But the, I will say this, they still struggled to play defense without fouling. Everyone did, and that's been a common theme for the Warriors this season that I remember from even their first big losing skid in that East Coast road trip early on. They had trouble playing defense without fouling. And in the beginning, they were fantastic, but as the game went on, their legs started to wear down, and you just didn't see the same hustle on defense. Coming out of halftime, they did. You know, it was only 25 to 23 in favor of Sacktown in the third quarter. So that an eight point lead going into the fourth. But the Warriors, you know, they weren't scoring that much. So the Kings, you know, they were at the advantage with how physical they were defensively. That's one thing you don't think about when you talk about Sacramento is their defense. You don't say that. But they were able to slow the Warriors down just enough. And Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, you know, they were making shots throughout the game, but they were also missing shots throughout the game, especially Steph Curry, who was just 3 for 13 from deep. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, and by the way, my bad for saying that about Klay Thompson. He was actually extremely efficient tonight. 21 points on 7 for 13 shooting and 5 for 10 from 3. So I stand corrected on that one. But that's tough when Klay Thompson shoots that well and you don't get the job done. And Steph Curry, you know, he still had some incredible moments relocating for three and whatnot. But look, they're going to try to put DeMontis Sabonis in the pick and roll, right? And they try to do it over and over again. Now, they went away from it because Curry kept getting blitzed every single time. And here's the thing about Curry. I noticed he was trying harder to turn that corner even when they were blitzing to try to get a shot off because he obviously went stretches without shooting the ball in that first game. Well, when they went back to the motion, because what happened was Curry was starting to get trapped, when he was throwing the ball to Looney, because Sabonis is guarding Looney, not Draymond. Looney is now making those four-on-three reads, and he wasn't doing a good job. Missing those push shots, not a good scorer. He was losing the ball a little bit. And as I said, the Kings were just finding ways to get their hands on the ball, get steals, and get out and run. So Looney, I thought, was struggling offensively. You know, Draymond, you know, he actually had a good first quarter, I believe it was, offensively hitting a three. But as the game went on, it was the same old Draymond offensively. And at that point, it's just the Splash Brothers, Wiggins, and you don't know what else you're getting. You know, Jonathan Jordan Poole was just atrocious. Second game in a row. He's taking terrible shots. He's ball pounding. He, it feels like he's trying to ruining the flow of the offense. He doesn't guard. You know, at this point, you got to play DiVincenzo more than him because DiVincenzo will at least guard. He didn't even get a shot off tonight, Dante. He was a team worst minus 13, which I don't think he was the worst player on the floor, but a donut. So that's not good to see. But Jordan Poole was no good as well. And in the fourth quarter, it started to get really interesting. The Warriors went with Draymond at the five for a bit. 
and they were starting to get good looks. Draymond was starting to get in those four-on-three situations. And mind you, I thought Draymond, again, such a good game defensively, rotating at the right time, protecting the rim, but he does it in a not-above-the-rim way. He does it by just positioning his body really well, having well-timed help, really physical. You know, you get the ball and you turn into his chest, it feels like you just hit a wall. And then he has really good hands as well, really good anticipation, and does a good job of playing defense without fouling, usually. But tonight was not one of those nights. The Warriors could not play defense without fouling. He had four fouls before, I'm sorry, five fouls, I believe, before he was ejected. Kevon Looney had five fouls, and Andrew Wiggins had five fouls. And it is a problem when Andrew Wiggins gets in foul trouble, because as good as Gary Payton the second is, I don't know how well he can guard De'Aaron Fox. He is an issue, and he's been an issue for every single damn team this season. So now you're seeing on the big stage just how much of a star this guy is. But as far as DeMontis Sabonis, I still think Kevon Looney and Draymond Green did a good job, funny enough. I still think they did a job of making it tough. He had to work. Even though he shot 66%, he did not get his easy. I think where Sabonis really killed it, though, was on the glass again. And the Sacramento Kings out-rebounded the Warriors. You heard Mike Brown talk about it. It was a point of emphasis. 12-9 in the offensive rebounding battle for the Kings. And 41-41, it was tied, though, overall. But I think the Warriors got better in that aspect as the game went on. The problem with the Warriors is, and I've talked about this with some Warriors people, they're thin at the guard spot. I'm sorry, not thin at the guard spot. There's so many guards on this team. They're kind of a log jam. They don't really have a backup four that's serviceable, a backup big wing. You know, it's a lot of Wiggins, you know, relying on him. Gary Payton is a smaller, bigger guard. He's not a wing like that. Jermichael Green looks washed. You know, Anthony Lamb. I don't know if he's ready for playoff basketball, and he probably shouldn't be playing basketball anyway in the NBA level with, you know, off-the-court situation. And, yeah. So, Jonathan Kaminga played. You know, you would expect that his athleticism and stuff would impact the game positively, but I didn't really notice much from him. He was a minus 10. He had a donut and four minutes of play. And in the second half, this is what surprised me, is Steve Kerr put in Moses Moody. And by the way, before I forget, Steph Curry, when he came out in the first half, the, the Kings started to play well in that stretch, Same, similarly to the end of the third quarter in, in game one. But it's like you can't play Curry the whole game, especially in that pace. So it's hard. I mean, how many? let's see how many minutes he logged tonight. 41. I, that's what I said. He should log 41 minutes. I mean, if he plays any more than that, he's going to get gassed because he already looked a little bit gassed at the end in this game and just throughout the game. They're working him really hard, especially when they're playing the kind of offense that the Warriors play, where you have to chase them around screens and stuff like that. So, but anyway, the beginning of the fourth quarter, Warriors are starting to get good looks. Gary Payton, I thought, was doing a really good job in the dunker spot. He was even making outside shots. Two for three from deep. So, if Gary Payton can knock down the three ball, and of course we know he can finish the dunker spot, he will be playing a lot. And they're going to need defense, for sure, against this Kings team. But Draymond was starting to make good reads. Steph Curry obviously attracting multiple defenders. And I've always said this about Curry. He's better at passing with his left hand than his right. It's really weird. With his right, he makes so many careless passes. And honestly, I, I, I still think Curry's one of the best players of all time. But if he actually handled the ball and like ran pick and roll and ran the offense outside of this Warriors system, he would still be an amazing player. But he would average as many turnovers as like Westbrook does. I swear, seriously, he's very careless with the ball, and some of his passes is just ridiculously, like, loosey-goosey, in my opinion. But, anyway, Warriors are starting to come back, right? Down by about four, and then the incident happened. Draymond Green and DeMontis Sabonis getting a little tangle. DeMontis Sabonis is holding on to Draymond Green's leg, and Draymond Green tries to free himself, 
and he stomps on Sabonis' ribs or stomach, basically. And look, yeah, Sabonis was definitely in the wrong for holding his leg. Probably some antics there. But Draymond Green stomped on him like like the way somebody I that hates insects would stomp on a bug or a spider or something like straight up. There was some force in that, in my opinion. And he was absolutely rightfully ejected. I mean, what the fuck is this guy thinking, man? You're going to go do a podcast about it and make excuses about the refs and how they're calling stuff for Sabonis and all that? This motherfucker came out there and said, you know, if we just take care of business, we can probably hopefully get the series done in five. Are you crazy? That's why I made that tweet about if I'm Mike Brown, I put that on the bulletin board. Because it's not about, you know, him saying if we get this done and whatnot, we can win in this many games. Five games is just an insult to the team that has the third best record in the West, that's been good all year. Let's be honest. Everybody has disrespected this Kings team. You can even say, I have by picking the Warriors. I don't think that's disrespecting them, but the people that think the Warriors are going to win with such confidence, the Kings have no chance. Yes, the Warriors are not done yet, but now we know it's going to be a tough series. And I asked Dre, I asked other Warriors fans, would you get nervous if you're down 2 nothing and don't win those first two games? Because mind you, Stephen Curry's Warriors have never gone down 0-2 in a series. Never in the Steph Curry era. The last time they were saying the Warriors went down 0-2 was the 0-7 second round against Utah. So they have never been in this position. We got to give the Kings credit. The way they defended, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, insane. We need to give Sacramento credit, and I love seeing them do this. I like, listen, I love my Warriors fans. I got some amazing Warriors fans. Top five following of mine is Warriors fans for sure, behind Lakers and Clippers. I'd say they're right there with um, Boston and the Knicks. Uh, maybe even more at this point. And they've won enough, though, at this point. Like, for real, they've won enough. It's time for the Kings to beat them, and the dynasty will be over, and we'll see what happens from here. But I'm, I'm, that's obviously an exaggeration. So when Draymond comes out of the game, I was a little nervous if I was the Warriors that now you're putting Kevon Looney back in that high-pick-and-roll, and when they're blitzing Curry, now you're going to have him making those four-on-three reads instead of Draymond, and that wasn't really working that well throughout the game. But... I will say, when he came out, they were able to last for a little bit longer because Steph Curry was trying to put Simonis in the pick and roll and trying to weave and split it. Got a couple of nice layups going, and then Klay Thompson started making some threes. So I started to get, not nervous, obviously, but I started to think, you know, the Warriors were getting right back in this. You know, GP2, Wiggins were also out there. But who was it again? Mr. Fox himself. Fourth quarter Fox showing he was there for the moment with 6.07 left in the game. Score was tied at 93. Man made a pull-up to give them the lead again. And then shortly after, about two minutes later, another 20-footer to put the Kings up four. He was just amazing. Turning the corner in the pick and roll, attacking drop coverage. I mean, some of the there was one finish he had. He changed direction downhill against Draymond. The guy has done it all season long. He's now playing in the playoffs at the highest level in front of the world, and he did it tonight. Closing out the game for the second straight fourth quarter, De'Aaron Fox. It doesn't get better than that. And as far as Steph Curry, look, I think you're going to need a little bit more. I really think you're going to need a little bit more. And the game, the one that the shot that decided the game was the Davion Mitchell three from the Sabonis assist to put the Kings up nine. But look, I mean, Steph Curry, nine for twenty-two from the nine for twenty-one from the field is not very good. Three for thirteen from three. I mean, twenty-eight points sounds nice, but six assists and five turnovers. You can't tell me that that's a good game for Steph Curry at his standard, one of the best players of all time. 
I don't think it's a good game for him. And I, I quite frankly don't think he's been good enough so far in this series. They're going to need a much better Steph to win this series. Klay Thompson, I thought he was good enough in this game. I thought he did his job. But the Warriors, as a team, forget Steph individually. Yes, they're going to need better from him. But they're going to need way better from Jordan Poole. And I also think Steve Kerr has been outcoached so far. I think part of it is that the Kings are beating the Warriors their own game. They're younger. They're pushing the pace. The Warriors are old. And so far, the Kings have fed off the home crowd and guarded better at the point of attack. But, you know, both teams are going to run their motion offense, their read-and-react offenses. It's not as much high ball screen. But you saw Sabonis and Fox get into that later in the game, and you saw Curry get into that later in the game. So they are going to go to it late. That's their whole strategy is for the you know the rest of the game, the majority of the game, they're going to run the creative offense. It is equal opportunity. And, you know, there that does pose the question, the age-old question that Warriors fans and Curry stands go back and forth with, and that is, do you put Curry on the ball more? But the thing is, they were blitzing every fucking ball screen. And when it was Looney making the four-on-three reads, I don't think that the Warriors were getting that good of offense. I would have rather run the motion because it's still getting guys decent looks. Just it may not always be Steph. But the Warriors are getting run into the ground because the Kings are playing at a blistering pace and their bench players are giving them a lot too. Guys like Malik Monk, you know, they've only been in the league for six years. The Kings go up 2-0. Give every single NBA fan a reality check that they're here. Shout out to the Kings fans in Sacramento. Lighten that beam. But bringing the noise. It felt like finals noise level. I only hope to experience that one time in my life. Hopefully the Intuit Dome has that kind of sound level. That's what they're going for. But what a finish. What a game. This series is living up to the bill. And now all the pressure on the Warriors to have two must-win games. They've never been in a position like this, and I'm excited to see it. Let's read the lines. And by the way, Steve Kerr, yes, I do think he's been outcoached. Also because I think he's going a little too long without calling timeouts, for one, especially with that crowd. You can't mess around too much. I know he you know, he has so much confidence in his players. They're battle-tested. They've been in the most hostile environments known to man. But, I mean... Playoff basketball is just different. And that Sacramento crowd is just different. So I think you got to still call timeouts to kill momentum. And then bringing in Moses Moody was an interesting choice instead of Jonathan Kaminga's second half. And I actually think Moody did okay. But the Warriors still seem to lack a little bit of that size. Especially when Draymond went out. That changed the game. So Draymond should be ashamed of himself. He knows so much better. At least they thought he does. So disappointing. And the Warriors, who were 11-30 away from home this season, are now 11-32 if you count the playoffs. Down 0-2 to the Kings. Jonathan Kaminga, four minutes, a donut, zero points. Jamichael Green, one minute, a donut, zero, uh, zero field goal attempts. Moses Moody played eight minutes. He had four points and five rebounds on two for three shooting. So as I said, I thought he was actually okay. Um, he was a plus one. Dante DiVincenzo, Warriors fans, let me know if you think he should be playing more because I think DiVincenzo still makes a lot of high IQ plays and he's a better defender than Jordan Poole. He had a donut, though. And didn't even get a shot up either. And he was a minus 13. Jordan Poole, only 16 minutes. I heard he's struggling with an injury. And, man, he was just horrendous. Four points, three rebounds on one for seven shooting and 0 for three from deep. Last year when Steph Curry was still kind of getting back into the swing of things in that first round coming off the bench, Jordan Poole was the headliner, the guy that was carrying that Warriors offense, or leading that Warriors offense, I should say, to blit destroying the Nuggets. And we're just not seeing that so far from 
Jordan Poole. He's going to need to be a lot better. I thought GP2 was pretty good. Really good, actually. 13 points and 6 rebounds on 5 for 6 shooting and 2 for 3 from deep. Expect him to get a lot of minutes in the game at Chase as well. Game 3. Then the starters. Kevon Looney played the least of them with 23 minutes, and his foul trouble absolutely hurt the Warriors, especially on the glass. 6 points and 7 boards for him on 3 for 7 shooting, but he's going to just need to find a way to be better offensively, whether it means more offensive rebounds or you know finishing around the basket better or just making better reads if he's put in those 4-on-3 situations. They're going to need more from everybody in terms of not named Wiggins and Clay offensively in the next games. Draymond Green, in 31 minutes, he had 8 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, and a steal, but he also turned the ball over 5 times, had some really bad turnovers. He was 3 for 6 on the field and 1 for 2 from deep. He got ejected and was taunting the crowd and going back and forth, but he was acting like he did something so great. He was unfairly treated. It's a load of bullshit, in my opinion. Draymond Green's antics have gone on far too long, and right now, as great as he still is defensively, he is not playing well enough offensively to have this kind of attitude, at least not in my opinion. But he has won four chips for that Bay Area, so what can you say? Can't really hate too much. He maybe, maybe he's to the point where he can do whatever he wants. That's more for a Warriors fan to answer. But Andrew Wiggins played heavy minutes in this one, 39 of them, 22 points and five boards, 9 for 19 from the field and 2 for 8 from deep. So as I said, his three ball is still work in progress. Get it back to where it was. But 9 for 19 from the field, Andrew Wiggins still pretty efficient, man. And then the Splash Bros. Klay Thompson, 21 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal on 7 for 13 shooting and 5 for 10 from deep. Thought he was really good. And then Steph, 28 points, 3 boards, 6 assists, 5 turnovers, 9 for 21 from the field, 3 for 13 from deep, and even missed a technical foul shot, 7 for 8 from the foul line. Steph is going to have to be better, man. And then for the Kings, Alex Len. Again, spot minutes, short minutes, and did a decent job. Four points and a block, two for two from the field in just eight minutes of play. Did what he needed to. Trey Lyles, not as good of a game as game one. He had a donut, but he also had four rebounds in 15 minutes of play. 0 for 2, both the shots were threes. How about, and also Keegan Murray, another game where he was basically non-existent, didn't really do much, got taken out of the game and didn't play much. 16 minutes only, he was 0 for 1 and got two points. And then the others. Davion Mitchell, 14 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals on 5 for 10 from the field. He was unbelievable guarding Curry. And don't think that that 9 for 21 from the field and 3 for 13 from deep has nothing to do with Davion. He absolutely impacted this game with his incredible point of attack defense. And he makes that team look so much better defensively. If he can continue to make shots, it changes his value entirely. And then Kevin Herter, who had a much better game in this one. It's he still wasn't hitting his three ball, but from two in the in-between game, his mid-range, some of his step backs, he was hitting. And his defensive effort was very good as well. 15 points and five boards, one steal and two blocks for Kevin Herter. He was only two for nine from three. He was six for 14 overall, so that means four for five from two. K. Herter, 15 points and five boards. He was a team high, plus 16 very solid performance from him and then Harrison Barnes two monster dunks in the first half they were going underneath the screens every time on HB but he was still contributing in his own way thought his defense was pretty good as well 13 points and six boards 
three steals for Harrison Barnes. He was 0 for 4 from 3, but 5 for 13 from the field. So 5 for 9 from 2 did his thing. And then Malik Monk, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists on 6 for 15 shooting, 3 for 7 from deep, and 3 for 4 from the line. Only one turnover. Malik Monk has been absolutely electric to begin this series, showing why he probably should have been shortlisted for 6th man of the year. It's just amazing play from him to come off the bench and just heat things up, get the crowd going with his shot making. And he does it from all three levels, really. And he attacks the rim, which I didn't really know how good of an attacking the rim guy or, you know, driver of the basketball he was until he was on the Lakers. The duo, the all-star duo. We'll start with Sabonis. 24 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. 8 for 12 on the field. Very solid bounce back game for him, but he had to work for every one of those points. And my player of the game, Mr. Fox himself. He closed the deal. 24 points, 5 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 steals, and a block. 2 turnovers only. 10 for 23 from the field. 2 for 10 from deep though, but he made one big one in the 4th quarter. De'Aaron Fox has his Kings up 2-0 in the series. What a win for the Warriors. Warrior fans, let me know how you're feeling in the comments, man. This is unfamiliar territory or uncharted waters. But let's talk about the other game, the Sixers and the Nets game, too. So I'm not going to lie. I had some problems with my recording. So, um, man, shout out to my boy Big Bonson, man. He didn't have to do that. Um, but I really appreciate it as always. Super Chats turn on if you want to jump a dollar or a dime. Appreciate any donation. It helps us out. But let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, who I obviously don't like because of Glenn Rivers and plumber Jim Harden, and the Brooklyn Nets. So my recording, I slept. Not literally slept, but I thought I had it recorded, but I didn't, so I started the game in the middle of the second quarter, and the Nets were winning. And Cam Johnson, he was off to a great start, knocking down the three ball. And even there was one time where he called for a screen, got Maxi on a switch, and pulled a three right over his head. So those are the kind of things you did not see him do in Phoenix, at least not when I watched. And he was showing a little bit more off the bounce, and he's been showing a little bit more of that as a net. As as uh, Of course, we all know Mikael Bridges has, but Cam Johnson as well, coming off the screen, Hitting into getting into a floater on a fast break, taking the bump and stepping back for a jumper. I mean, very impressed by him. Same strategy defensively, though, for Brooklyn. Double teaming Embiid hard. Very hard. And JoJo, he keeps catching the ball 18 feet away. That's where he wants to be able to see the whole defense, kind of like a LeBron would instead of the post, where it's a little bit harder to see everybody, I think. But they just have to come deeper, and it's easier for you to kind of get a shot off against the double when you're that deep. But... The, the Sixers are getting some wide-open looks. And in the beginning of the game, the only guys that were really hitting were Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. And they were limiting Embiid's shot attempts. And they were up at halftime in what was a really gritty game, defensive-minded. They were up 49-44. to But in the third quarter, the 76ers played harder defense. And they switched to a little bit of a 2-3 zone. And the Nets, you know, they were getting still good shots out of it. But they were missing the three. And Royce O'Neal was open for like four of them in the second half and missed time again, time and time again. In this game, he was two for nine from deep, two for 11 from the field overall, six points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. The Nets put out a lot of lineups with like all wings, basically. You know, with their Spencer Dinwiddie being their smallest guy, they'd have Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney Smith. 
Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, and Mikael Bridges, like, all out there at once. They could switch everything, but when Embiid catches the ball, they're doubling. And, yeah, they have the ability to run them off the line and do that, but with guys like Tyrese Maxey, guys like Tobias Harris, you know, the Sixers just have too much firepower, and I think Tobias is off to a really good start to this series. Obviously, former Clipper Tobias Harris, somebody I'm really high on, and or at least I was. I think Tobias has you know fallen short in his role the last couple of years. Now they need him to be a fourth option. You know, when he first got there, they had so many, you know, they had Embiid, they had Jimmy Butler, they had Ben Simmons. You know, it was kind of confusing. But then when Jimmy Butler left in that 2019 summer, that next season, it was Embiid, and then Tobias was supposed to be the second leading scorer. And I think he was, but it just wasn't enough. 2021 was really the year where you just needed more from Tobias and you didn't get it. So now he's the fourth scorer and he's good in this role. He's been fantastic so far. I think I've liked the willingness of him to be in that dunker spot when they double Embiid because P.J. Tucker likes that, you know, that corner. That's his corner three. But Harris being in that dunker spot has given him the ability to not only just offensive rebound, hit shots around the basket, he also can spread the floor for three. But I think what's impressed me the most about Tobias has been his defense and his activity, you know, having active hands, staying strong, just being engaged. And, you know, going to the point where I talked about Harrison Dunker spot, five offensive rebounds for Tobias, 13 offensive rebounds for the Sixers to five for Philadelphia. And it was the same story in game one. They were dominating the glass. And when you give them second chance opportunities, they're going to hit. And in the third quarter, they were finally hitting their threes. And it was all coming from Embiid getting double teamed. And Tyrese Maxey was leading the charge. As for somebody who wasn't hitting anything, James Harden. He was broke night and day from the other day. Couldn't hit a three, but he did hit two in the second half. And I think overall with Harden, he didn't do too much. He still got some others involved. He still made the right extra passes and stuff like that. And defensively, yeah, he's not very good. They try to target him in the pick and roll, and they get by him a, a good amount. But I think he still is trying. I will say that. He's trying. He's just not you know, very quick anymore. He's slow-footed, and he doesn't move laterally the same way he used to. But overall, not a very good game from Harden, but not terrible. Not to the point where it cost him the game. You know, he still did things to contribute. He had eight points, five rebounds, seven assists, four steals. So there you go. I didn't even see the I didn't see the or feel the four steals. But he did turn the ball over five times. And between Embiid and Harden, they turned the ball over 13 times. And that was mainly the reason why the Nets were staying in the game. You know, they held the Nets to 37.5% from the field and 31% from three. But the Nets were staying in the game because they were taking advantage of the Sixers' turnovers. 19 turnovers for them. And they were doing a good job of getting out and running. And you know, you know, with the Nets' personnel, they're a younger team. They're an athletic team. They're going to try to get out and run against the Sixers, who I think were 27th in the league in pace this year. So, Brooklyn... The problem with them is they still just don't have enough scoring. You know, they don't have a true star. And I like Mikhail Bridges' game. Really do. But he's not that yet. You know, they could not. They were getting good shots in the zone, but they could not hit. And as for seven, the 76ers, you know, I thought Paul Reed came in and gave him beat a little bit of a breather. Was active. Did turn the ball over a couple times carelessly. But as far as the Sixers... They were able to take care of business. Joel Embiid came in. And, you know, when they didn't double Embiid, he is just – how good he's gotten is, is amazing. Just a quick jab step, rip through to the basket for two on a dunk. And against one of the best defenders in the league, no less, and Nick Claxton. There was even another time where he took the bump, fake turnaround. 
I'm sorry, no, fake spin, turn around over the left shoulder from the foul line, so pretty, things that a seven-footer should not be doing, and also his rim protection was just awesome. In that zone, you know, he was doing a really good job of coming out of nowhere for blocks. You know, he's underrated in terms of foot speed. I do think they let him get away with a little bit of hand-checking, though. Uh, a little bit is an understatement. They get, let him get away with hand-checking a lot, but he does still move his feet exceptionally well for a big. He's gotten better at that every year, and his timing on those blocks on the weak side or help side is pretty impressive, and I think Joel Embiid absolutely was the player of the game for the amount of ways he impacted it. 28-21 to 21 in favor of the Sixers in the fourth quarter, 24-14 to 14 in the third. So the zone, the intensity on defense that they kept up, or picked up, I should say, really made the difference. They outscored the Nets 52-35 to 35 in the second half and take care of business for the third straight year. The Philadelphia 76ers defend home court and win their first two home games against their first-round opposition. They defeated Washington in the first two games in 2021, and last year they defeated Toronto. The Sixers taking care of business 96 to 84 for the nets not a good shooting night nothing like game one they only played an eight-man rotation and joe harris played 13 minutes which was the least of all the players that played for them and he was plus 19 so again that just tells you why plus minus is just not for single game especially just not a great stat he had a donut 0 for 2 both the shots were threes didn't really notice anything he did the second lowest um played player for the nets was seth curry Nine points and four assists. Thought he was good offensively. Three for eight from the field, one for three from deep. They're going to try to target him in the pick and roll, and they did a couple of times. I personally don't think he was very abused because the Nets, I thought their defense was good. You know, they only they allowed the less than 100 points. It's their offense that's a problem. Nick Claxton, only 21 minutes. I'm kind of surprised he played so little, but I think it's more for offensive purposes because if you're going to double Embiid, then I get it. You want to spread the floor on the other end. But... You know, Claxton out there, his length is important, and also rebounding. And I think they've struggled with that. So I think they may have to reconsider playing him only 21 minutes. A donut for Claxton. Over two from the field. Six rebounds, two assists. Not one steal, not one block. So a very rare kind of game for Nick Claxton. Just didn't feel his impact at all. And then after that, Dorian Finney-Smith played 27 minutes. He had eight points and seven rebounds to go along with two steals, but he was three for nine from the field and two for six from three, 33% in both categories. Needed more from him in the shot-making department. As for Royce O'Neal, you know, he tried to guard James Harden a lot, and he did a pretty good job, but six points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. That sounds okay, but he was two for 11 from the field, and in the zone, he was getting so many open shots, two for nine from deep. Didn't have it. And then Spencer Dinwiddie. Not a very good shooting night. I expected a lot more from him after he was a little bit quiet in game one. He had 12 points, four boards, six assists, and a steal on five for 14 from the field and one for three from deep. Not a very good shooting game for Spencer Dinwiddie. And then Cam Johnson played 41 minutes, as did Mikel Bridges and Spencer Dinwiddie, in fact. Cam Johnson, 28 points, four rebounds, and two steals, and a block. On 11 for 19 shooting and 5 for 11 from 3. So he had himself a game. Mikael Bridges, another good game. He was better in the second half of this game than he was in the second half of the last game. But he was much better in the first half in game 1 than any half in this game. So I'd say game 1 he played better. He had 21 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists, and a steal. You saw him guarding Harden a lot more. 6 for 15 from the field, 2 for 8 from 3. So only 25% from 3. He was 7-for-9 from the line, but not his best shooting game for a guy that's been shooting insanely efficiently since he's become a net. But I think he'll play better in Brooklyn in the third game. 
As for the Sixers, they played a 10-man rotation, but Daniel House only played two minutes, so it was really a nine-man rotation. Paul Reed played 11 minutes. He had six points and three boards on three-for-four shooting. I thought he held his own, did what he needed to do. Three offensive rebounds. And then DeAnthony Melton, 21 minutes, nine points, three for seven from the field, and two for five from three. Pretty quiet, but he was able to knock down 40% of his threes. He'll take that all day, and nine points, that helps. Sixers only 15 bench points, but the Nets had as only 15 as well. So it came out of the starters. The Sixers starters outscore the Nets by 12. And George Niang, 13 minutes, a donut. Very quiet game, turned the ball over twice. Jalen McDaniels, a donut, 0 for 3 from the field. But he did have two rebounds and two assists and was plus 13. So again, plus minus single game sample size, not really moving the needle there for me. Didn't really notice much Jalen McDaniels. He did play 22 minutes, played solid defense, I will say that, but offensively nothing. So I think he was he was solid. Speaking of offensively nothing, P.J. Tucker, 22 minutes. He was 0 for 5, had no points. He had eight rebounds, though, two of them offensive, three assists. So basically all the buckets came from the four, from the four other starters for the Sixers. James Harden, eight points, five rebounds, seven assists, and four steals. He had five turnovers. Not a very good game for James, but he did enough. You still would be worse without him out there, I think at least, because he's a floor general. He's a calming presence, and he's good at what he does. Three for 13 from the field, just two for eight from three for James. As for Tobias Harris, another really good game. He's off to a great start to the series. 20 points, 12 rebounds. I liked his shot diet, too, catching the ball in the mid post. You know, get into his mid-range. He's fantastic in the mid-range. He can bully smaller guys. There was one time where he had Seth Curry on him. They came and doubled, and he spun and split the D. Great footwork, layup, step through. Beautiful. 20 points, 12 boards on 8 for 14 shooting from Toby. Only 1 for 3 from deep, though. Made all three of his free throws. Tyrese Maxey, he was just electric. The leading scorer for the Sixers in this game. Shades of last year's series against Toronto. 33 points. On 13 for 23 shooting and 6 for 13 from deep. Nobody else on the Sixers made more than two threes. He led the way in that department. He was a plus 17. which was the highest of any player in the game besides Joe Harris. <laughs> and then Embiid. The MVP chance raining from the Sixers crowd. It was much louder than they were on Saturday. 20 points, 19 rebounds, 7 assists, a steal, and 3 blocks. The only criticism I have of Embiid Eight turnovers, way too much. He's to take care of the ball. But six for 11 from the field, only 11 shot attempts. Only one three-point attempt, which I like. Eight for eight from the line. But Embiid, he was creating good shots all game long, and it led to the Sixers beating the Nets. And they're up 2-0 in the series now. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for supporting me every single night. It's going to be a fun playoffs. I'll be live basically every night, talking about the games, talking about every single team. I'll be live tomorrow night. After, of course, Clippers and Suns game two. I don't know how much I'll be able to watch of the other two games considering they're on at the same time. Celtics-Hawks and I believe it's Milwaukee and Miami, if I'm not mistaken. So, it's or no, I think it's Cleveland. Cleveland and New York tomorrow. So, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, oh man, I really want to watch that game. So, it's going to be tough. We'll see what we can do. I'm going to try to go live after though. It just may be a little bit late. Try to get through everything. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. As always, the timestamps are there for the video uh, if you don't want to watch the whole thing. And now to the live subscriber. By the way, go, Kings, go. Go, Kings, go. Go, Kings, go. one nothing, baby. Let's go. Every L.A. team living up to 
I didn't want to say the expectation, just doing their thing. And the Sacramento Kings, Warriors fans, you got to be shaking your boots a little bit, man. This could be the end of the dynasty. We'll see. You got to give the credit to the Kings. Came out and won the first two games. Nobody seemed to expect that. Besides Kings fans, peace. Have a great night.